welcome to Tax Yak, a tax banter podcast. We love yakking about tax, so we've invited a range of tax experts and practitioners, including our colleagues at Tax Banter, Webmartin Consulting and Tax Ed, to have a chat with us. We hope you enjoy this final episode for 2018 of Tax Yak. I'm Robin Jacobson, a senior tax trainer with Tax Banter and your host of today's podcast. I'm joined by Neil Jones, Director of Tax Banter. Neil, welcome again to Taxiac. Thanks, Robin. So we've made it to the end of the year. At last, yes. <laughs> right. I think everyone's looking forward to a little bit of a breather and a break. Absolutely. Now, just for the uh, benefit of our listeners, we're recording this on the morning of Monday the 17th of December. Uh, my a big po- day. It is a big day because at about 11 o'clock today, the Treasurer is going to release MIFO, the Mid-Year Economic and Fiscal Outlook. So we are recording this now without the benefit of knowing what policies may or may not be announced later today. And they might do something. They might make a significant announcement to sort of turn the tide, if you like. But uh, A bit of a pre-election announcement? Perhaps something that, you know, might be a sweetener for the voters. But, uh, yeah, time will tell. We'll know later on today. So something to give us that warm, fuzzy feeling as we go into the summer break. Perhaps. Uh, I think they're feeling a bit jaded themselves, so maybe they do need to, you know, to get some runs on the board, so to speak. Yep. All right, just to give everyone a a bit of context as to where we're sitting, today we're going to be running through some of the outstanding measures as we wrap up the parliamentary year. Uh, They wrapped up uh, Thursday a week or so ago. And over the summer break, of course, no parliamentary sittings and what we can expect going into next year. Now, date-wise, Parliament, of course, has moved into its summer recess. So Parliament is scheduled to resume on Tuesday, the 12th of February. We would normally have a budget in the second Tuesday in May, but due to the timing of next year's federal election, they've had to bring the budget forward. So let's work through these dates. The election for half the Senate, state senators, must be held by the 18th of May, but the half Senate election for the territory senators and the House of Reps does not need to be held until the 2nd of November but it would be very unlikely the government would run two federal elections next year with the cost and inefficiencies. So we're looking at likely the 11th or the 18th of May, which has forced the budget to move back to Tuesday the 2nd of April. I'm I'm a gambler, Robin, so I'm going to tip the 18th of May will be the federal election. The last day they could run it. I think so, yes. Because why would they go early? Mm, Just hang on to that extra week? That's what I'm thinking at the moment. So my money's on the 18th of May. Okay. So Tuesday the 2nd of April means we've got limited sitting days between now and the election. Now, unusually, there are no sitting days in March. There are actually only 10 sitting days between now and the federal election. And to take that a step further... They are unlikely to sit in June because they'll be swearing in ministers and counting the rest of the pre-postal votes and absentee votes and so on and putting up their stationery. July, they don't sit. So there are actually only 10 sitting days between now and the 12th of August. That's remarkable. At least that's what's planned. But as we all know, plans change, particularly if there's a change of government, they might recall Parliament a lot sooner. So as you're saying, we might only have 10 sitting days till August. But if there is a change of government, I would expect that um, the Labor Party would then move quickly to recall Parliament sooner. Or we could have an earlier election, which would mean Parliament would likely sit sooner than August. Well, again, you know, the best laid plan. So bringing forward the budget, planning that election in May, but, uh, you know, some Senate, some Liberal Party members are getting a bit itchy. Will there be any more defections? We've already had Julia Banks move to the uh, crossbenches. If that happens and you lose a vote on the floor of the House, you basically can't govern. So I think he's got no alternative but to go to the Governor-General and say we need an early election. So who knows what the new year will bring. All right. So the main issue here is it's uncertain. 
Absolute uncertainty. And if you've seen in all your years of training, and I've been training a long time as well, this much uncertainty going into a new year. No, I was saying to a group the other day that, you know, referring back to when GST was introduced, it actually had law passed 12 months ahead of its effective start date. Extraordinary. Which uh, by today's standards is just unbelievable. So, yes, we've got a lot of unfinished business. And I was just looking, uh, apart from tax, there are 246 pieces of legislation that are unfinished and before the parliament. And that doesn't count the exposure drafts and the announcements, which we haven't even got to Parliament These yet. These are just bills. These are just bills. So 246 bills yet to be passed and in 10 sitting days, plus all the other changes that are not even made it to the legislation yet. That's a huge backlog. Yeah, huge. And you just look at some of the start dates. Some have already supposed to have commenced. Some are expected to start up on 1 July 19. Well, again, I'm a gambling person and I would be having a lot of money that a lot of these reforms will have to be pushed back. You recall a few years ago when the government was looking at its outstanding measures and they actually got rid of a whole bunch of them. They decided that they'd been outstanding for so long, they just took them off the list. Yes, and there was over 100 items on that list and they got rid of a fair chunk of them. That's one way to clear the backlog. It is, yeah. How important was it? If we haven't got to it by now, maybe it wasn't that important. And I'll refer to the objective of super legislation. You know, we already had a pretty good reason why super exists in Section 62 of the CIS Act. You know, the sole purpose of super is to provide retirement benefits to members. Do we need another piece of law that says it's just to provide income in retirement? So how many years has that been before the Parliament now? Uh, that's in three years. That's been sitting in the Senate. So. Yeah, it's very good. Okay, so let's start working our way through a, a list of measures. Firstly, let's talk about what has been achieved this year. So these are better down enacted measures. Um, we'll remind our listeners what has happened. Now, company tax cuts has to be top of this list. Well, it took a while, and it's, it's, it's amazing actually to think that, you know, if you're a corporate entity and you ask a simple question, what tax rate do I pay, that it took almost 12 months to get that through Parliament. It's not a simple <laughs> question anymore. You really need a 10, 15-minute conversation minimum to be able to answer that. Which is crazy. From any tax system, you want simplicity, certainty, and you know, fairness and equity. But a company tax rate should it should be a simple exercise. You know, If I'm a corporate vehicle, this is what tax rate I pay. So as soon as the government started to bring in two levels of company tax, we knew we were going to have this sort of you know, uncertainty. And uh, at least we've got the legislation through. So that is an achievement for 2018. Well, some of it, because of course, one of the four bills, which in itself is remarkable that it took four bills to deal with this, only three got enacted. The one that didn't was for the big end of town. And we all know that companies with a 10 over 50 million or more are still on 30%. And perhaps the government has abandoned that idea for now. You know, So the 10-year corporate or enterprise plan, we got the first three well, pretty much in, uh, accelerated the drop to 25% for the base rate entities or our smaller companies. But for, as you say, for turnovers over 50 million, there's a waiting game. Will they ever get down to 25%? Well, that's probably a question for a later period of time. And just looking beyond policy, now that we're into implementation, it's going to be interesting to see the quality of company returns being lodged and those of shareholders, because the errors being made on franking rates in particular are extensive. Yeah, and then the ATO's attitude to that, you know, given the uncertainty that we've gone through, will they be tolerant or will they uh, apply compliance resources and go back to make sure that no one's over franking their distributions or that they've got franking credits they can't use? And all this is for a 5% reduction in the rate, which inevitably is passed on to the shareholders in the form of higher top-up tax. So question whether we've actually achieved anything through this process. It has been a long saga. Okay. 
Next one, if we look at some of the additional industries, the taxable payments reporting system gets bigger and bigger. Now, it's early days. It was building and construction in 2012, and now we've got a total of six industries in there. Yeah, and I've been saying to some people that it wouldn't surprise me if all businesses, regardless of what type of industry, whether you're a high risk of non-compliance or, but all industries, you know, any business that pays a subcontractor should tell the tax office the details of those payments. So whilst Division 405 is only certain prescribed industries, and as you say, we've expanded now. So builders since 12, careers and cleaners from 1 July 18, so they'll do their first report in August of 2019. And now we've added road, freight, security, surveillance, uh, and IT services. Um, some people have made the comment that we're almost back to prescribed payments, you know, which was a collection and reporting mechanism, whereas Division 405 is really just a reporting mechanism. Well, I wanted to put it to you. I agreed, it is only reporting at the moment. Do you see in the years ahead this could turn into a withholding type regime? Isn't that inevitable? Uh, possibly, but uh, again, you've got, you know, is, it, is that contractor their own business or are they part of my business. So we do have, you know, contractor withholdings, you know, no ABN withholding, for example, under 12-190. So you do have some collection mechanism. Um, is it a payment principally for labour, you know, a labour hire arrangement? So there is already existing provisions, whether the government wants to step that up and make it mandatory by having a reporting and collection mechanism. Again, that could be something for the future. That would perhaps only occur if they perceive the contractor issue to be fairly large. I mean, this is a a data matching exercise to make sure those contractors are doing the right thing. Are they paying their own fair share of tax? Are they in the instalment system? Are they making voluntary payments? If that's perceived to be an issue, then yeah, we may lead to a collection as well as reporting. Regime. Now, you keep saying you're a gambling man. I am. All right, so what's the seventh <laughs> industry that is likely to be added to this in the future? The next, uh, next, yeah, the next one to go. You've got to think of what contractors out there may not be fulfilling their obligations. Um, IT was pretty uh, certain. Cleaning was always the, the tip, the obvious tip for the second. Um, I'm not sure, Robin. I wouldn't like to put a house or a, or a truckload of cash on any of the next ones. That so. one's a bit uncertain still. Yeah. All right. Moving on to the GST property withholding rules, these were bedded down with effect from 1 July 18. Now, this was all about, in particular, the Phoenix property developers who just would not pay their GST to the tax office. So the government said, well, if we can't trust you to be able to remit the GST correctly on your property sales, then we'll turn our attention to the people who pay you. Mm. But again, the old sledgehammer to crack a walnut. You know, you've got a few bad apples in a barrel, you know, a few developers who are great at claiming the credits in the construction phase just for got to remit the GST when they sold those new residential properties. So it's, it's more than a few. The figures tell us <laughs> that in the five years to November of 2017, there were 3,731 individuals who did this. I mean, that's significant. It is. But again, I was at Phoenixing or just failure to remit the GST. So, you know, to crack that walnut open, you've got every purchaser, every purchaser. Every mum resi- and dad. Every residential, not just mum and dad, you know, your first home buyer. Investors. In, in, anyone buying new residential property is now impacted by this and has become a tax collector for the government. I'm concerned that what's being missed by many is, A, the obligation to even comply with the rules by purchasers who have to pay this, but secondly, the notification obligations where it's existing premises. So you're selling your home to me privately. Neither of us are registered. There's not a dollar of GST in sight, but you could face a $21,000 penalty for not notifying me mm. that I don't have a GST obligation. Yes. 
Yeah, and again, horrendous system uh, for what, okay, it was admittedly a problem, but was it as widespread and as a much concern? So, yeah, um, Joe and Jane Citizen have become part pay players in the tax collection and administration system. Just to make all of our listeners aware, if you have not yet uh, dealt with a property that's settled under these new rules, two things to note. The amount that is being claimed back by the vendor, the supplier of the property, is not reported through the BAS. You just short pay the BAS amount and the ATO will match it up to a, a credit sitting in the GST property credits account. Now, that is not visible and it's not on the portal. Again, another account. When I remember when we simplified our system back in 99-2000 that the idea was we would have one account with the tax office, a running balance account, and now we have you know, multiple accounts and, some, as you say, some visible, some not so visible. And the fact that it's not visible, not great. The agents mm. are struggling with this one. All right, personal tax cuts. So this was an achievement for the government. They managed to bed down tax cuts starting over uh, 1 July 18, but further cuts 1 July 2022, further cuts 1 July 2024. Legislated, but the biggest question I get on those is will Labor overturn them? Well, I've been describing it as these are legislated, it's law and it will not change, comma, unless (laughs) the future government changes it. So the likelihood of Labor rolling back some of these tax cuts? Again, we'll have to wait and see um, some of Labor's announcements, but on that one, they ended up voting for it in the House, so you'd have to presume that that's a turnaround by Labor to actually now undo what has already been done with their support. And bear in mind, whatever they want to do, they would have to secure it through the Senate. Yes. And we don't know what the Senate looks like after the next election. Technical, very technical amendments made to Division 152, the Small Business CGT concessions, with effect from the 8th of February 2018 when you're selling shares or units. Yeah, so people who are able to convince a purchaser to buy their entity are affected by this. Now, generally speaking, purchasers like to buy businesses, not entities, because they don't want to inherit the skeletons in the cupboard. But if you're able to get the deal done by selling your shares or your unit shares, there are additional criteria. Now, we don't necessarily need to go through the nitty-gritty on this podcast, but uh, yes, if you're able to sell your entity, there are additional hurdles you'll need to meet in order to be able to get those Division 152 or the Small Business CDT concessions. They are complicated changes, and we're going to be covering those in a special topic in in 2019, so that's a good opportunity to, to drill into that detail then. All right, that's basically a snapshot of what has been achieved. So I wouldn't sort of call it a particularly long list. Now, I'm not suggesting they're the only bills that pass, but they're the significant ones. Yes. Policies that are still on the pipeline. Now, this is going to range from bills before Parliament, amongst that 264 bills that you mentioned, but it's also going to include exposure draft legislation and discussion papers. So let's start with the big one. Still in consultation paper at this stage, Division 7A changes proposed from 1 July 19. These are big. They are major changes. The Boards of Taxation's post-implementation review, Treasury have gone a little bit away from what the Board recommended. And in, in our view, a tax banner, I suppose, we're saying not really commercially minded, uh, not practical, not pragmatic. Uh, we've certainly put our views to Treasury on the uh, consultation paper. But again, you know, 1 July 19, there is just not enough time to finish that consultation, bring out an exposure draft, have a further round of consultation, get a bill before Parliament and get it passed. I mean, I can't see these Div 7A reforms happening before July 20. I agree with you. 
And look, if we had draft legislation pre-Christmas, and look, I've still got a few days for that to happen, but there were so many submissions given to Treasury, it's going to take them six months to work through them all. Yeah, not hopeful of a 1 July 19 start date. But, you know, some of those measures are quite important. And, and as you say, like the 21-year-old, at best, old 108 loans, you know, that we drew a line in the sand as at the 4th of December 97 when Div 7-8 kicked off. You know, the consultation paper says you've got a two-year window, but in July 21, it becomes an issue requiring repayment of principal and interest when you've had 21 years of interest-free repayable on demand is a massive recommendation and significant change. And I've come across twice now nine-digit figures that are quarantined from 21 years ago. That's a huge amount to manage. But I suppose the reality is we've always known there's a reckoning day. You know, someday we've got to address that. Now, whether it was on liquidation of the company and they called the asset in, um, you know, as we know, companies can last forever. So a lot of people are saying, well, it's not my problem. It'll be, I'll pass it to someone else, whether that be the advisor or the shareholders. UPEs, we've still got uncertainty about the pre-2009 UPEs. Yeah, I think in the consultation paper, I've been saying they just squibbed it. You know, there was just no addressing the issue at all and just said, well, we'll throw it open to you. What do you think should happen? So, so one line in that consultation paper said, should pre-16th of December 09 UPEs be brought within Division 7A? Now, I haven't yet to meet anyone, Robin, and I don't know if you have in your travels, where they said, yes, please. I want Div 7 to apply that. Yeah, I'm struggling to think of one. Now, I have been told that this has been kicked into the long grass. I think that's a great expression. Um, but I've got to agree with you. The likelihood of this happening by 1 July 19, unlikely. Well, we know what happens in long grass in summer. You know, there's slithering snakes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> now, what about Labor? If they form government post-election... What do you think in terms of whether they would pick up this policy and run with it? Would they abandon it? I think it unlikely they'd abandon, but what are your thoughts? I think there's still reforms coming to Div 7 aid, regardless of who's in power. I mean, it is a mess. The board's report said, you know, it's probably fit for purpose, but it's complicated and it does need addressing. Uh, simplifying the loan arrangements, um, the concept of distributable surplus. I think there's, there's those reforms do need to happen. So I don't think a change of government will take it off the table, uh, but they will, they will have other priorities. I think, you know, if a Labor wins the election, they'll, they want to put in place their immediate reform agendas, which, you know, they're going to have enough trouble selling anyway. So reductions to the discount capital gain, uh, re- no refunding of excess imputation credits, negative, negative gearing. gearing, yeah, all of those will take priority, I think. Now, bear in mind that they did commission the original Div 7A review, so I don't see this as being a coalition policy. I think it's a government policy. Oh, and it's needed. I mean, does anyone really understand it? I think people are managing Div 7A, but particularly with the Commissioner's approach back in 2009 to, you know, trust distributing to companies and what that actually means. So the whole, not just Division 7A and private company transactions, but the, you know, the link with the trusts that distribute to corporate beneficiaries. So it does need addressing for more certainty. Now, if you'd like more information, we do have a separate podcast on Division 7A, so you can have a look in our library for that. And uh, obviously, if there are further developments next year, we'll be uh, advising of that when that occurs. So, other proposed changes. This one has been, um, I guess, dear to my heart from an advocacy point of view, the main residence exemption and the non-residence. And I've had a lot to say this year in trying to get some amendments through the Senate to make this fairer for Aussie expats. 
So we go into next year still with uncertainty about whether these measures are indeed going to take effect from 9th of May 2017 with the transitional rule June 3019 fast think, approaching. And that, that's the big question, Mark, isn't it? You know, that transitional period where a lot of expats who may still have property in Australia had the opportunity to get rid of it while still able to access a concession but by 30 June 19. Now, that's rapidly approaching and no legislation. So, And to expect people to make big financial decisions, mm. engage an agent, list it, find a buyer and sign a contract within a few short months next year. Particularly with the housing market in our two exactly. major capital cities at the moment being a little bit down. So the government needs to come out. If they can't get this legislation through in that first week or two weeks of sitting in February, they do need to make a statement, I think, on that policy. Now, all signs are they may be listening to our advocacy efforts, so perhaps there will be some form of concession, whether a step up in cost base or a, a proportionate approach, but certainly they need to address the harshness of it. Look, with all the noise that myself and some fellow advocates have been making, and that's through the media as well, at least we've achieved the government not passing this through the Senate in its current form. And I think that's been a big achievement from that perspective. We'll put a break on it. So the question is, do you now change the oil and and give us a different look at what they're proposing to do? Now, quick other perspective on that issue. Let's say it doesn't go through in its current form or they abandon it or whatever. You've already had a lot of expats around the world take that big financial decision of selling their homes on the basis of a proposed law that may never come in. And that's not good either. But they may have also got it tax-free with the six-year absence rule, so... Very true. Very true. All right, on to R&D. So, changes proposed from 1 July 18. Correct, and not yet law. Uh, Again, a tightening up of the R&D environment, uh, a little bit of changes for small R&D companies, a fairly major change for large R&D companies... Uh, not yet through. Um, again, you know, those first 10 days or the only 10 days that are planned to be sitting, they would, you'd have to think this one is of priority. Now, I don't want to tell the government how to do their job, but surely they go and negotiate the positions of the senators before you actually bring it on for debate in the Senate. So, you know, it's a done deal. So whether there needs to be amendments or whether there needs to be some form of trade-off, um, you'd surely do that before you actually put it up in the parliament. And just against the whole backdrop, R&D is uh, a high-risk area at the moment. A lot of interest from the ATO, lots of audits, taxpayers losing cases. Uh, yeah, it, well, any you know, every time the government offers a tax concession, you know, a handout, a freebie, I'm going to say with a bit of tongue in cheek, it attracts an element. So any time there's a free handout, you know, there are people in the queue that perhaps aren't there for the genuine reasons of the handout. Uh, freeloaders, I'll call them. Um, so when the government offers a tax incentive, whether it be the old investment allowance, the R&D changes, whatever it is, people gravitate to it. Now, whether they're promoting a tax scheme or whether they're trying to take advantage, certainly some of the press on R&D at the moment has not been favourable to those seeking to claim uh, the R&D concession. Director Penalty Notice Regime. So there are plans to extend this beyond its current PAYG withholding and SGC to also include GST, the wine equalisation tax and the luxury car tax. And the GST is the big one in that. That's the game changer. You know, when a company is struggling and not able to meet its debts as and when they fall due, um, sometimes tax is the quick, ready source of cash. So to make directors 
potentially liable for any unpaid GST is a game changer. The thing there is it won't start until the law actually passes. So, you know, it's not retrospective, but uh, again, that, that, as I see it, is a big game changer for um, any business that's struggling in its trading conditions. And important to note, it's not drafted on the basis you're a Phoenix operator or it's any deliberate intent. Well, it's core. I mean, it's in a Phoenix-type piece of law, but it's not there. It's, it's universal. It's across the board. All right, the one that's attracted a lot of attention this year, and it is still very much proposed with a capital P, the SG Amnesty. So announced on the 24th of May, Mm. runs for 12 months, allegedly, and through to 23rd of May next year, but we're nearly seven months through this period. The likelihood of this passing? Uh, Again, Labor's made some comments that they're not supportive of the granting of a tax deduction for delinquent employers. Uh, their national conference has been going on over the last two days on the weekend and super is a big issue for the Labor Party on a national basis. So they want to accelerate the nine and a half going up to 12. Uh, there's a few things coming out from Labor and messages around super. Uh, will they support a free kick for those employers who haven't done the right thing? So great uncertainty about whether this one will pass or not pass. But as you say, when we're more than halfway into an amnesty period when we don't have legislation. Now, the ATO on their website are almost treating it as if it is law. So the amnesty forms for your disclosure and everything else. Uh, we just have to wait and see in February whether it gets through. So but two- yeah, 23rd of May is your cutoff date as proposed at the moment. So two things. We put a blog up on our website that discusses this measure and the proposed aspect of it. And the issue is really whether an employer should come forward. So two things to think about. One, if they're thinking of coming forward, it means they haven't paid their super. So out there somewhere is an employee who's missing out on that compounding effect in their super fund. Secondly, if you come forward and do a disclosure with the ATO, you're bound to get a better deal on penalties than if you wait and they find you. Yeah, I think you've got to go forward. If you haven't fulfilled your obligations, you've got to come forward. It's not you that's suffering, it's the employees. Absolutely. They've missed out on their super. This is not unpaid tax. No, this this was never your money in the first place. All right, on to single touch payroll. Now, a bit of background on this. It was due to start, or is due to start, 1 July 2019 for small employers, those with fewer than 20 employees. A lot of noise in the last sitting week because this bill, after many months of sitting before the parliament, was passed by the Senate. And the media jumped onto this and word spread that finally we're through and we can get on with it, green light, not we can so. press on. Not so. Why not so? Because they've amended other parts of that bill which have to now get the House of Reps Tick. Well, there was an opportunity with one sitting day left to return that back Let's to the House. Let's not go back to the last day in the House of Representatives and the pantomime that are, that are unfolded with uh, posturing and gamesmanship on, you know, not to have a motion defeated on the floor of the House. So, that yes, the Senate have passed the bill. So single-touch payroll for fewer than 20 employees has got through the Senate, but it is not yet law and will require the House of Reps to sanction those amendments to other parts. And it's only DGR, so it's only deductible gift recipients, so minor tweak there. So that'll get a rubber stamp by the House. It's but, just that it didn't happen. And that rubber stamp won't happen until at least the 12th of February. Correct. So, again, we're in the dark on whether if I've got fewer than 20 employees, do I need to go and get my systems upgraded, get my solution in place so that I can start on the 1st of July 2019. Now, I've been involved in the STP consultation for about three years now, and a week or so ago I spoke with the ATO 
broadly, of course, they're not going to insist that everyone report through STP if it's not yet law from 1 July 2019. If indeed it does get enacted, but very close to 1 July, then they would have to put in place administrative measures because they're going to be reasonable and understand that there is a lead time necessary to get systems in yeah, place. Yeah, you might get three months, you might get six months, a bit of lead time and a bit of, we won't penalise you if you're not doing a what is according to law what you're required to do. So in other words, don't stress about this over the summer break. The ATO will be reasonable in terms of implementing these new rules. Now, the three-year audit cycle. So it's proposed that audits uh, that are self-managed fund audits are going to run every three years instead of every year. It is still just a discussion paper. Uh, There's been a lot of negative reaction to this idea from Treasury and and the ATO. Your thoughts on this? Well, again, as you might have alluded to before, you know, in the last week of December before Christmas, we usually get some what I refer often refer to as the Bateman's Bay dump. You know, so those, those in Canberra before heading off to the coast for their summer holiday like to clear their desks. So the consultation is well and truly over. So this may be one that we get a, a bit of an insight in with an ED and exposure draft um, coming out this week. But so off their desk and onto ours. Oh, yeah, and and have your submissions back by the you know, 21st of January because that's when I'm back on my desk. Um, look, word around that it was a lot of negativity around it. Um, even the Treasury consultation paper said, look, you'll still have to do an annual audit if a certain event occurs. So in my view, we won't have too many people if this actually eventuates will be a year audit cycle. Most will still be doing annual audits and it's a valuable process. All right, so in wrapping up, are there any other measures that we've not covered? Anything else you want to comment on? Oh, look, observations? There's a, there's a lot of other tax measures that are still, you know, in its embryonic stage. Um, I won't go through all of them, but, you know, circulating trust distribution, some of the super reforms for low balances. Vacant um, land. Uh, no deductions for holding vacant land. Uh, there's quite a number that are still going on. Um, is there any? We've probably covered the major ones that are on people's minds. Um, you know, I think people are starting to turn to Labor's policies because the reality is Labor could be in government next year, and therefore they're starting to think about what Labor policies are. So the refunding of excess credits, the negative gearing on all investments, not just property. Uh, people are starting to think about those things. So. Um, from tax banners' point of view, change of government's not too bad because new policies, more changes to the tax system. So, you know, we get a little bit of a vested interest in it. More the more they're talking about tax reform, it gives us more to talk about. So it's been purely mercenary. Well, it also provides our clients with more opportunities to, to generate fees from their clients as well, because more complexity means more work for the advisors. So as we close out 2018 and move to 2019, I think if we're doing a report card, a few ticks, uh, a lot of sort of mid, you know, CC miners because not not a lot has happened and a lot of uncertainty. So on that, you know, on the reform front, we're probably, I would say, not a pass. Anything you put Uh, an actual fail against? (laughs) Oh, I don't want to be too harsh and too critical. It is the festive season after all. So well, it's festive, isn't it? We should be charitable. But uh, <laughs> it's probably like no other time when we have that uncertainty. Um, as you mentioned previously, when we did have a lot of unfinished business, they basically took out the red pen and put a line through a lot of them and said, well, let's just shelve them. Um, could we see that again? Well, I think they'll wait till the election and then see what happens there. And I think mindful from a policy perspective, two significant events next year, 
cause the election and likely change a government, but we'll see what the polls do. And secondly, in the 1st of February, we've got the final report for the Banking Royal Commission. Now, whilst not directly tax related, it's certainly going to have some policy implications. Uh, yeah, I think the whole financial industry has been subject to a massive amount of scrutiny over the last 10 years, you know, with the future of financial advice reforms and, and a whole range of things, the accounts exemption, which we had and then had taken away. So there's a whole, the finance sector itself, but uh, Justice Haynes Commission has thrown some light on some pretty interesting practices in not just banking, but insurance and, and other areas. So uh, his recommendations to the government on what should happen. Um, do they self-regulate or does the government step in? So to wrap up, Neil, thank you for being a guest on, on Taxiac. You've uh, done a number of episodes with me and it, it's been good fun. So thank you. And thank you for your coordination of the program. I think certainly some of the groups I've spoken to have um, spoke highly and positively about the uh, information that we're disseminating. Uh, some of them listen to them in their car. Some of them listen to them on their public transport and their journeys to or from work. So uh, we'll continue them in 2019. We look forward to that. So thank you for listening to this final episode of Taxiac for 2018. If you're enjoying our podcasts, please take a moment to rate and review the show wherever you are because it will help to improve the profile of the show. If you'd like to connect with us on social media and let us know what you think or suggest future topics or speakers, you'll find us on LinkedIn and Twitter or you can email us at podcast at taxbanter.com.au. You can also find our regular blog articles at taxbanter.com.au forward slash banter blog. And I just uh, let everyone know we've just upgraded our website and it looks fabulous. So check that out over the summer. We'd like to thank you, our listeners, for your support in the two months since we launched Taxiac. It has been a lot of fun. We'd also like to thank our production and marketing team for their assistance in bringing this to you over the past couple of months. All of us at TaxBanter take this opportunity to wish all of you a safe and happy holidays. We look forward to again in the new year. Until then. Bye.